that we shall raise our voices to God. Please stand and join us. If anyone wants to do that thing where you come and you sit further toward the front, like people ask people to do sometimes, but I'm not going to make you do it. Let's worship God together.
Yeah. 
Father, we are in awe of your love for us. We are in awe of the ways that you show your love to us every day. You are so good to us. Help us to be more aware, to be sensitive to your presence that is always with us. Fill us with the knowledge that you have a purpose for us, a kingdom building purpose for each one of us and help us to follow you. You are our God and we will worship you for you alone are worthy of all the glory, Lord.
Father, we thank you for all of the reasons you have given us to worship you. We pray today, Father, that as we continue in worship, you will sense our hearts of gratitude and thanksgiving for all that you have done and for all that you are doing. Father, I pray today that that you will minister your grace into our lives and into this world. As we gather today, we know that there are many among us who are grieving. We think of of the the wider uh, world's grief of the death of Billy Graham this week. This man whom you have used mightily, who's touched so many lives. We pray that you will give comfort to his family. And may what what he has done in his life inspire more and more people. We pray, Father, for the family of Pastor Cap Farrow, who also died this week. May your grace be upon Barbara and their children and, and their family and their church. May they sense your grace helping them in their time of grief and loss. There are other ways in which we come today and feel a sense of grief and loss. We pray that your spirit would minister to us. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling with health issues. There are many. We pray, Father, that, that your grace and mercy will be so evident in healing, restoring each one. Father, we think about our anxiety about the future. Give us the the desire and the ability to trust you when the unknown seems so uncertain. We pray that you would heal our relationships. Relationships between siblings and parents and children, husbands and wives, friends. Father, do more than we could dream or imagine. You restore our brokenness. Father, we pray for, uh, for the, the ministries of this church and for the churches around us. We, we think today of the Rushford United Methodist Church and Pastor Russell. May your grace be upon this body of believers as they serve you and as they serve their community. We pray, Father, for the needs of our nation. We continue to pray for those who are grieving and, and recovering from, from the, uh, the tragedy in Parkland, Florida, and others that our nation has experienced over the last years. We pray for those recovering from recent disasters here and around the world. Lord, in those places where war and violence are just everyday life, bring peace. May your church be a presence in each of those places. We think of our brothers and sisters 
in places of the world where living out their faith is difficult. Today, we, we think especially of those in North Korea. We are glad to see some progress seemingly made between North and South Korea. We are burdened for our brothers and sisters in the North. It's one of the most difficult places in the world to be a follower of Jesus. We pray that you would give them grace and courage and strength. And we pray, Father, that that they would bear witness to you and that there would be an explosion of your grace in this nation of people that you dearly love. Father, we, we thank you for the ministry of, of Hepzibah Children's Home in Georgia. After all these years, as they are transitioning to, to a different kind of ministry, we pray that you will bless those who have been working. We pray for children who have come through this home and the life change has taken, that has taken place. May it continue. May you continue to work, particularly in the lives of children who are find themselves in foster care or orphaned, neglected. May they know the depths of your love for them. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Pour out your spirit upon our hearts. Give us the, the desire and the ability to, to worship in openness as you speak into our lives. We ask all of this to our Lord and Savior, our coming King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Twenty-seven. Would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. 
All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. You may be seated. I wanted to uh, just mention to you that uh, you may have noticed in the bulletin if you had a chance to see that. This coming Saturday, 9 to about noon, I'll be hosting a membership class. If you're interested in joining the church, interested in knowing more about joining or just about the church in general, love to have you come to the class. It doesn't obligate you to anything, uh, but it would help you to get a sense of who we are as a church, a little bit of history, uh, a little bit of what we believe. But a lot of what we talk about is just who we are as a congregation of believers and, and uh, what we feel God is calling us to. So if you're interested in that, if you could let me know sometime during this week so we can make sure we have uh, enough materials for everyone. And I think we're going to have child care available as well, so we'll try to do that. Uh, so if you need that, let us know as well. Also, on Easter morning, uh, we'll be uh, offering baptism, as we typically do at the 745 service. And if you're interested in that, you can let us know in the coming weeks as well. Um, let me invite you to do two things. Uh, I'm going to invite you to, to uh, greet one another. I also want to invite you, I'm not going to tell you, but invite you if you want to move a little more forward. I'm going to let you do that today. Uh, we're, a little, you know, we're a little less of us here, but if not, that's okay. No, no pressure. We will not judge you if you decide to stay where you are. Uh, let's, let's share a word of greeting with each other. We all want to be successful. I, I think most of the time, when we start something, we try something, we want it to be successful. I, I don't know of, of, of any coach that takes on a team hoping that they lose, right? I don't know of anybody who starts, uh, goes, starts grad school hoping to flunk out. I don't know of a doctor that enters into an operation hoping that it doesn't work, right? I mean, for the patient, we definitely don't want the doctor thinking that. I don't know of a mechanic that, that uh, when she's done fixing things, hopes the car doesn't run. I don't know of anybody who starts a business hoping that it ends in bankruptcy. I mean, when we start something, when we do something, when we have a dream about something, our hope, our goal is that it's successful. I mean, and, and that's the way it should be. It would be weird to think that we start something thinking and hoping that it's not going to be successful. 
And I think this desire for success is, is built into us as, as creatures made in the image of God. Because God is concerned about success. When you read the Genesis creation story, you, at the, it amazes me at the end of every day when God is done creating, he takes an inventory of what he's made and he looks at it and you can sort of see the beam on his face and he looks at it and says, you know, that's good. That's really good. He is happy with his accomplishments. He has been successful for what he wants to do. And he has put that into us that as we work and as we plan and prepare and go about our lives and as we attempt things, we are doing them with the intent of being successful. That's a good thing. It's a gift of God. But we live in a world that sometimes, maybe oftentimes, fights us about that. We live in a world where we face troubles and difficulties and burdens and struggles. And, and, and sometimes people hurt us and do things against us. Sometimes uh, people oppose us and, and our burden and our struggle. And they create an atmosphere in which being successful is difficult. And I think it's because of that. I think it's because of this world in which we live, where we're wrestling and struggling, that sometimes... Maybe more often than we want to admit, being successful is what drives us. We have a tendency as human beings to become so enamored with being successful that other things get pushed to the margins. And our focus is, I have to be successful. It's that drive to be successful that creates, I think, a lot of the aholics that we talk about. Being a workaholic. You know, those kinds of things that that we we are just our whole focus becomes being successful. And and unfortunately, when that is our goal, when that is to what drives us, more often than not, we leave carnage in our path. And often those decisions, those play, being successful, often that struggle of how we're going to handle the difficulties of life in our pursuit to be successful in whatever we're doing, more often than not, those come down to decisions. We keep coming to these forks in the road. There's not one, there's not a dozen, they happen all the time. These forks in the road, we have to decide. I think Pilate is is an image of that for us. When you read the the passion narrative, such as we read this morning, we see Pilate, who he's a man who wants to be successful. It's driving him. And when he encounters Jesus, he comes to a fork in the road. And and he he even asks the question himself as he's interacting with the people. He asks this question I think is so pivotal to what he's wrestling with. What do I do with Jesus? What should I do with Jesus? In the midst of this decision, what role does Jesus play? In the midst of this crisis, in the midst of of my struggle to be successful and wrestling with all of that, where is Jesus? And that's a question you and I are not asked once or a few times, but every day of our lives. Pilate is an interesting guy. 
And we, we don't get a lot of information about Pilate. You can read different things about him in history. But um, Pilate, I think, is a lot more complex than we give him credit for. Most of the time when we look at the biblical characters, we sort of see them as one-dimensional. They're either just bad or they're good. And we kind of like stories like that. You know, when, when I was young, the Lone Ranger was on television, and the Lone Ranger wore a white hat. And all of the, the bad guys wore, you know, dark black hats. And, and, they, and they, they were good and they were bad. And you rooted for the good. And when you thought of them, I mean, the Lone Ranger couldn't do anything bad, right? Because he was good. And the bad guys couldn't do anything good because they were bad. And we sort of get trained in this mindset of seeing people as very one-dimensional. But we're not one-dimensional. Let's be honest. Even when we want to do good, sometimes we don't. I think it's one of the problems that we have in our culture right now with you know, all the political divisiveness is that we can't see how complex and multidimensional everybody else is. If they disagree with us on this point, then they must be bad. If they agree with us at this point, they must be good. And what we find is that we have a hard time seeing people we think are bad doing anything good and people we think are good doing anything bad. And it creates this, this sense of, of not wanting to enter into dialogue and being honest. But we're, we're complex people. And so is Pilate. He's wrestling. He wants to release Jesus. He knows Jesus is innocent. It only takes him a little conversation with Jesus to realize this guy's innocent. And even walks out to the people and says, look, I got nothing. I can't do anything. I'm not, he said, I, I don't know what to do with him. I mean, there's no way we can put this guy to death. There's no way I can turn him over to you to be crucified. He's innocent. And the people revolt. Pilate says, okay, well, let me talk to him some more. He's amazed at Jesus. He knows, Matthew tells us, that the only reason Jesus is standing in front of him is because the religious leaders are envious and because of their self-interest. He knows that. And the right thing to do is just to release him. But he's struggling. wavering. So what does he do? He tries to pass the buck. This guy is really human, isn't he? And so he says, you're from Galilee? Send him to Herod. Let's let Herod make the decision. Because what he wants to do, he wants to, he wants to release Jesus without being held responsible for releasing Jesus and what may happen. So let's send him to Herod and let Herod do it. Herod talks to Jesus and says, I'm not making that decision, and sends him back. Now what do I do? Then he gets this brilliant idea. Every year this time, we release a prisoner. He turns to his, his assistant and says, who's the, who's the most dangerous prisoner we've got? I said, that's easy. That's Barabbas. Right, Barabbas is dangerous? Oh, yeah, really dangerous. Murderer, insurrection. I mean, he's done it all. He says, all right, people hate him. Oh, yeah, they want him to stay locked up. You better believe it. Okay, go get him. And he stands there in front of them. Barabbas is the kind of guy you don't want to hang out with. You know, he, he's dangerous. He's ruthless. 
And, and I suspect most of the prisoners that are released in previous years are probably in jail for things like tax evasion or petty theft. They're not Barabbas kind of prisoners. But here he is. Isn't it fascinating too that Barabbas's real given name is Jesus Barabbas? And he stands up and he says, okay, you guys decide. Implicitly, I'm not going to make this decision. You guys decide. You want Jesus Barabbas or you want Jesus who's called the Messiah? And he's thinking, I've done it. I'm brilliant. And they say, give us Barabbas. Pardon? No one's more shocked than Pilate is. You want Barabbas? Do you know what Barabbas has done? Do you know who Barabbas is? Yeah, we know. We want Barabbas. And he's forced again to make a decision. I think Pilate might be on the brink of releasing Jesus until he hears what the religious leaders have to say. And they threaten him. It seems like it would be hard for them to threaten him, but they do. They say to him, look, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Now that may just be words, but that those words have teeth to them. And, and Pilate knows the depth of this threat. Pilate's been the governor there for anywhere from four to seven years. He's made a lot of mistakes. Right after he becomes the governor, he, he moves his troops from Caesarea down to Jerusalem. And as they come into the city, they're carrying these banners with images of the emperor on them. And they set them down in the middle of the city near the temple, and the people revolt. You can't have images of the emperor in our city near the temple. And, and they're ready to riot. And finally, so much so that Pilate says, okay, okay, okay. And he sends them all back. And now he's lost face. And so now he wants to get back at them. So what does he do? He takes, he takes these shields and hangs them up in the temple. And these shields have, have names of uh, all kinds of gods and deities written on them. And the people again are about to riot. And he's not going to give in this time. And he's ready to fight to the death with them until the emperor steps in and says, you got to get rid of those. And now he's lost face with the emperor. So he tries it again. He needs, they need a new aqueduct for water into the city. And what does he do? He goes to the temple treasury and he takes funds out of the temple treasury to pay for the aqueduct. And now the people, it's the last straw. And they do riot in the streets. And Pilate sends his soldiers into the streets dressed in street clothes. And at a given signal, they start beating people. Many people are killed. People are executed. It is a mess. And when word gets back to the emperor, he is furious. And he sends the word to Pilate and says, look, can you not handle this? Do I need to find somebody else? I'll give you one more chance. So here is Pilate realizing if he releases Jesus, more than likely, everything he's worked for is going to be gone. The dreams of climbing the ladder, everything he's done to get where he is, the position, the power, the wealth, everything that he's worked for is going to disappear if he does the right thing. You can see why he's wrestling. Because you and I wrestle with the same kinds of decisions. But Lord, I've worked so hard to make this happen. Lord, I've given so much of my time and energy. But Lord, 
that still small voice whispers in our ear, but you know what's right? The shadow of the cross falls down on us in that moment and we're reminded of what's right. I think that one of the most fascinating things about this story is Pilate's wife's dream. It reminds me of, of something Dennis Kinlaw preached about, I heard years ago, about Malchus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Malchus is the servant of the high priest, and he is with this contingent of soldiers that, that goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. And the soldiers arrive, and Malchus is there representing the high priest, the, the religious leader of all of Israel. And, and the soldiers start to, to come after Jesus, and Peter picks up a sword and swings it, and he cuts off Malchus's ear. And Jesus is upset. And he rebukes Peter, and then he reaches down, picks up the ear, and restores it. Puts it back. And Kinlaw says, imagine the, the, the conversation between Caiaphas, the high priest, and Malchus when he gets back. And he's asking him, how'd it go? Is everything all right? He goes, yeah, it went okay. And he keeps tugging on that ear. He says, I think, I, said, I, th- I think that healing of, the, of Malchus's ear is one last love note from God to hard-hearted Caiaphas. Do you really want to do this? You really want to do this to the kind of person who would heal your servant's ear when you're about to arrest him? And I think this dream is one more love note to Pilate to say, do you really want to do this? Do you really want to be in the middle of this? Do you really want to make this decision? You don't have to. I think sometimes we have this mindset that the Pilate had no choice He was a pawn of God, but he's not a pawn of God. He's being tempted to be a pawn of Satan. Jesus comes to reconcile the world, but Pilate doesn't have to be a part of that. Pilate can make the right decision here. He can do what is right as he's wrestling with this decision. And he can find something about God that he never knew before. And God does that with us in those decision moments. I think it's like the shadow of the cross falling on Pilate and and reminding him, grabbing him, grabbing his attention. And and God does that to us. It's like we talked last week about when you're walking down a a street on a sunny day and all of a sudden the sun goes behind the clouds and, and you notice the shadows. Or when you're walking down the street and you, and you walk behind a building that the sun is blocking the sun and you walk into the shadow, the air is a little bit cooler. It's a little bit darker and you notice it. You pay attention. And I think the shadow of the cross falls on us in these moments of decision, getting our attention, hearing God speak those voices, speak with his voice into our ears. Do you really want to do this? You know those moments when when you're angry, you're frustrated, you're hurt, and you're ready to lash out. You're ready to give it back. You're ready to to go on the offensive. And you've prepared what you're going to say, what you're going to write. And just as you're about to do it, the phone rings. 
or somebody's at the door or the dog starts barking or your children need you. And in the moments of that delay, the Spirit of God speaks to you. Do you really want to say that? Do you really want to say it like that? You realize that when you hit send, you can't get it back. When you speak the words, they're alive. You can't erase them. Do you really want to make that decision? In the moments of of trying to decide how we're going to proceed, I think the Spirit of God speaks to us. The shadow of the cross falls on us to to remind us and to, and to, to stop us just a moment to say, do you really want to do that? There's a better way. And God does that because he knows how difficult these decisions are for us. He understands. That's why he keeps sending us these love notes. That's why the shadow of the cross keeps falling on us in those moments. Because it is so much easier to choose success than it is to choose a cross. Everybody is telling us success is what you need. And and we, we so easily buy into that. And like I said, success is a part of who we are and something that God has, has created in us. And success is not a bad thing. Unless it becomes the only thing. Unless it becomes the place where we say, I'll choose success over the cross. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You know, I think, I think it's, it's actually... In some ways, in terms of living our lives in this world, in some ways it's easier to have no sense of God. Because you have no sense, there's no, there's no this sense of right and wrong, though I think God has put something within us. But I think there is sort of this freedom, but the cross calls us to something else. There is a sense in which the cross somewhat confines us and challenges us to live differently than we might just on our own. I was just reading this week someone who was saying, I always laugh a little bit to myself when people say, oh, you know, your faith is just a crutch. When has a cross been a crutch? This is the demand of the gospel. The call of the gospel is is really at its core, Jesus saying, follow me. Follow me. I think the thing that we have to keep in mind is that when the shadow of the cross falls on us and we feel a sense of conviction, we have to also see and sense that It is because God has something bigger for us. It is because God is trying to help us see with eyes that we don't normally see with. He's trying to help us move from beyond a perspective that's limited to where we are at the moment. But he has something bigger. He wants to give us an eternal perspective. And that's difficult because as as Paul writes to the Corinthian church in verse 13. He's talking about love and how difficult love is to follow, to love the way Jesus does. And he says the reason it's difficult is because you don't have perfect vision. 
As you see through a glass darkly, it's, it's blurry to you. You can't quite see it, but it's there. And that's our faith. That's the point in which we say, whether I see it or not, I'm going to believe and trust that God has more. It's what Paul is writing about in Philippians chapter 2. He talks about Jesus being in very nature God and not considering equality with God something to cling to, something to grasp, something to say, this will save me. But he humbles himself and and goes to the cross. But what we sometimes miss is verses 9 to 11. Because in verse 9 it begins, therefore, because Jesus does that, he's exalted. And God is glorified. And Paul begins this section in verse 5 saying, Think like Jesus. Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. And what is that mind? It's the bigger eternal perspective. That when we choose the cross, it leads to life. Because it draws us closer to God, the source of life. We begin to experience the greater eternal things of God's kingdom and of what we were created to be. And the only way to get to that is through the cross. That's why one of the the old prayers of the church was, Lord, we thank you that the way of the cross is the way of life. And it is. And the real choice in our moments of decision is, am I going to think in this limited temporal sense or am I going to think with an eternal kingdom perspective? Just like Jesus. The poet, pastor, author, George MacDonald once said, the Son of God did not suffer unto death so that we might not suffer. But the Son of God suffered unto death so that our sufferings might be like His. So that our sufferings might be like His. An eternal perspective. And that's the call of the cross. Everyone, every time we come to one of those forks in the road, one of those decisions, and they happen to us all the time, little things, big things, what do I do with Jesus? Father, thank you that the shadow of the cross falls on us to to show us, to reveal to us, to convict us, to draw us into life with you. On our journey with you, help us to see that and to sense that and give us grace that we might be willing to choose the cross and find life. Through the grace of Christ, we pray. Amen.
please stand as we sing together. Receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.